0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and we've got a pretty interesting show today for you. We're going to be talking all about investing in farmland, which most people don't know you can actually do that without owning the entire farm itself, which would cost, honestly, seven figures to do that. But I'm really excited uh, to jump into this one. So we're going to go through the interview with Carter Molloy, who's the CEO of Acre Trader. And then we are going to uh, be honored with someone in our community asked a fantastic curbside consult question, and I've brought on a special guest to answer that one since it is to do with taxes. And why not have a CPA come in and answer that question for us? We've got another amazing financial malpractice segment. This one is dealing with insurance, so it'll be fun. So stick around for that and of course then the best part is my baby boy Wyatt gets to give us the disclaimer that is very very important and all make sure, it's so important, I'll make sure that we say it here, that this is for entertainment purposes only. This is not specific investing, financial planning, tax advice. So please make sure you go to someone who understands your financial situation. And if you don't have someone, we would be honored to work with you at Physician Wealth Services. That's our fee-only financial planning practice. And we help physicians all across the country. We don't sell products, we don't get kickbacks or commissions, and we charge a fixed flat fee to work with us. So check us out at physicianwealthservices.com. All right. So before we jump into the show with Carter Molloy, this was actually recorded on a Facebook live with Carter and he dropped so much value for us. And we've actually even written a full blog post about everything. Honestly, that you need to know about investing in farmland. So if you're interested in reading that, check out the link in the description of the show. You will find that it will take you to the financialresidency.com blog and you can read more about investing in farmland. I personally have invested in farmland. That does not mean that you should or that it is a good investment for you, but it was for me and I loved it and I used AcreTrader to do that. So that's why I'm really excited to bring them on the show. Now we did this... As a Facebook Live, like I mentioned, that was in our community. And you can join that by going to financialresidency.com community. It'd be amazing to have you there. There's about 5,500 of us, all physicians or spouses of physicians in the group. And this Facebook Live, he did mention a few things that were shown in the live. And I'll make sure that we uh, post a photo on our Instagram if you're not following us there, please do at Financial Residency. That way you can kind of see what he's talking about because the Dirt Trophies are pretty sweet. So without further ado, let's jump into the show with Carter from Acre Trader. Carter, right, why don't you tell everyone just for a, a minute or two here, just a little bit about you, your background and what you guys are up to. And I think we can then jump into a
1: full interview of investing in farmland.
2: Great. Well, thanks for having me here, Ryan. i excited to be part of this conversation. For a quick background on myself, I grew up here in Arkansas in a farming family. So I've grown up around farmland, I went to school, did my undergrad in physics, and then spent about a dozen years in equity management, both working at an investment bank and then working at a long, short hedge fund focused on equity markets. In the background, I've been buying and selling farmland for a good part of my career, I should say, and having some great successes with it. I was living in San Francisco at the time three or four years ago and had a neighbor asking me as a friend, like, hey, I want to invest too. historical investment returns with no or little correlation and low volatility and no real way for most people to access it. Uh, and In fact, not much information out there about it, despite its size. Went to go click around online to see what was available out there. And that was the, oh my gosh, moment where we realized, hey, here's this multi-trillion dollar asset class, putting up just incredible and all the exciting variables involved with it, investing in it. And thus was born Acre Trader. And so since then, we've been off to the races and so we've got a team over twenty people here, growing really quickly. I uh, got some great venture funding oh, into business, doing you know, some really exciting offerings we're working on. We buy about a farm a week. Our investors do through our platform.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. So I will give a disclaimer here in the beginning, just so everyone is crystal clear. And I'll probably do it several times throughout this, just because it's investments and being a financial advisor. But also that I've invested several times. Taylor and I, my wife and I, have invested several times with you guys on the platform. We love what you're doing. We think it's a really cool asset class. There's nothing out there that's really like it. And I just, I love your guys' mission. And then we'll also, I'm going to carrot this for the end, but you got to tell everyone about the dirt trophies because I think that is just so cool. Kicking us off here. Most physicians don't know that you can invest passively into farmland, but I want to start us with why invest in farmland. And then I think we can go cascading down here into like why it's a good option and maybe how they can do it passively.
2: Absolutely. And to touch on that, uh that, reaching across the table here. Yeah. First and foremost is because you get one of these great little jars of dirt when you invest in a piece of farmland. doesn't seem like a lot for $20,000, but it is a nice little memento or deal trophy. We send out a jar of soil from each of the farms that people invest in on our platform. It's pretty We're cool able- seeing
1: the differences in dirt from across the different places in the U.S. that we've actually invested in. So I loved the concept and I think I've even posted it on our Instagram channel.
2: Sorry for moving us around here, but it's a fun side topic. Here are some soils from some of the various farms that have been invested in on our platform. And you can see the material amount of variation between those uh, soil types there. So we'll get back on topic, though. Beyond getting some dirt, what what's actually exciting about investing in what seems like a really boring asset class is just that, that this is a very differentiated and, in fact, boring asset class. It's not real estate where we're out fixing toilets and broken pipes in the middle of the night. This is a very simple asset. we are investing in soil and a farm, a productive farm, and the farmer then rents that farm from us. So as investors in a piece of farmland, typically through our platform, you can make money two ways. One, from the rent that the farmer pays you. So the farmer pays rent every year. We then distribute that out to the investors. Two is from the appreciation in the land value. Those two things together historically combine over the last almost 30 years have returned 11, 11 11.5% annually on average to the investors. So that's a pretty great investment return. It's not getting rich, but that's not what we're after. This isn't venture capital speculation. This is about compounding of capital over time. That's what we're really excited about. Importantly, with those 11 or 12% returns over the long term, is you don't see the big variability. You don't see swing in prices where if you invest in the stock market, you can have a year you're down 30%. Gold's the same. Uh, Farmland is instead this. Really consistent, slow and steady compounder over time, where you don't think about it. You invest in it, as you mentioned, Ryan. It's a passive investment, or you're doing it through the acre trading platform, and that's what's exciting. You know, we look at Warren Buffett's portfolio, and it is all really boring stuff—banks and transportation companies—and and that's the type of investors that we are. We're financially conservative by nature, and we really like that—that that slow and steady wins the race of compounding of capital over time.
1: In March of 2020, the markets were like what felt like uh, in a free fall. And I've done lots of shows on why markets move and there's volatility and all this stuff. But how are you guys seeing that on the farmland side? Were you seeing farmers wanting to liquidate properties? Were you seeing panic in the so-called streets? Because if it has lower volatility, did you notice any difference in the property selections that were coming up? Because you guys vet a ton of properties.
2: We do. The whole world felt weird there for, for several weeks. But in terms of the prices received for farmland, we haven't seen material variation. And in fact, right now, as as we speak, we've got a lot of partners that go to auctions in the Midwest, for example, and they're seeing record farmland prices there. So we're actually continuing to see a you know, this increase in land prices over time, as there is this flight to safety, right, is the general term in investing in markets where in crazy times people go, Hey, you know what, maybe I don't want to have all my money in The stock market or bitcoin or whatever it may be looking for more conservative assets and so we do see that move towards things like land as an example
1: yeah hopefully it's not bitcoin i've talked enough about bitcoin on the show at least enough to say like hey this stuff could potentially be dangerous it's not necessarily the best of investments but so we've got a little bit understanding of why and how someone could own farmland really it's about diversification within your portfolio right we've got stocks we've got bonds some people buy gold. Some people have businesses, right? Farmland can fix, you know, part of the real estate or even just a different piece of real estate inside there because some of us have allocated portions to real estate. But something that was unique, you guys have a ton of cool content on your site, which really attracted me to learn more and to understand more about the asset class myself, because I am very much a Southern California guy. My wife is from Kansas, so she totally gets it and I'm like getting caught up here. But there's diversification even within farmland. And that really piqued my interest. So I'm hoping if you could elaborate for a bit here on how you would diversify within farmland, like what kind of crops do we normally produce and where, and just to get kind of a feel for, okay, this sounds cool. I'm interested, but tell me more of the kind of specifics.
2: A great question. I think, you know, one is portfolio diversification of your total portfolio, and you're exactly right. We would never argue to fill your portfolio full of farmland. There's certainly plenty of external research, white papers online. From companies like TIA and, and Prudential, uh, large investment in, in insurance houses that show that farmland can play a really important part in the diverse portfolio. So we're excited to see people allocating some of their portfolios to farmland. But then when you dig into that slice of farmland in your portfolio, this is where we can really come in. If historically you wanted to invest in a piece of farmland, you may have to put down a million dollars, which is a non-starter for most people. And buying a lot of those is certainly a, a non-starter for just about everybody. But digging down a level deeper and getting exposure across various assets is something that we're excited to bring to market, Where you can come on our platform. And you're exactly right. You can invest in land. We've recently had Southern California farmland, Central California farmland, Illinois, Arkansas, Mississippi. That's geographic diversification. There is also climate diversification. So getting in different parts of the country uh, for different weather patterns. There is soil diversification. So getting different types of soil that, that may grow one thing or the other. And then, as you mentioned, there is crop diversification. And we see people all the time wanting to diversify across multiple types of crops. It's important to know that about 60% of U.S. farmland is corn and soybeans. That does appear to be a core feature or function of, of most diversified farmland portfolios, is having some of that corn belt in the i states grow, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, and or here in the Delta where we are, where we also grow a lot of those row crops.
1: With a lot of choices come potential issues, right? And then all of a sudden it's the analysis process. Well, I can diversify into this. I can diversify into that and blow your head up here. You don't want that. Have you guys had any research or study or have looked back in terms of pricing where it was like, hey, if you diversify versus weather patterns or geographic locations, or even if it's just diversified between crops, even if it's in the same area, have any of those kind of yielded better, not necessarily better returns, but just have any of those kind of stuck out as like maybe a safer piece of the asset class, or any favorable, or just hey we tend to see this type of farm producing this type of crop always come up on market, so it's got more liquidity. Is there any kind of insights into what you guys see in maybe deeper analytics that I wouldn't have access to or anyone else potentially investing?
2: Somebody on staff that spends most of their days doing this type of analytics, and I think you know what we all seek in, in our portfolio. What we hopefully seek is risk adjusted returns. is putting up attractive investment returns without stepping out on the risk spectrum and doing something crazy. And there is a financial term for that called the Sharpe Ratio, which is something that hopefully your viewers and listeners have looked into. If not, it's worth checking out, everybody. Sharpe Ratio, S-H-A-R-P-E. But again, the core concept is risk-adjusted returns. And when we zoom into farmland in particular and try to identify the variables that can influence that, that ratio in a favorable capacity, the investor, that tends to show that diversification is something that is interesting and important. To oversimplify this, and I think it's worth doing, and there's great content about this on our site, you can think about crops in two types. Row crops, things that are planted every year, they grow, you harvest them, then you replant them in the spring, you do it again. And then permanent crops, which is trees. And they have very different investment profiles. The trees tend to give you better cash on cash return, but lower appreciation. The row crops tend to give you lower cash on cash, so your annual distribution payment you get, but potentially greater appreciation. And So we do see a lot of investors on our platform allocating across those, where they'll own a corn and soybean farm, a rice farm, and then some almond trees with us, or some apple orchards in Washington. And so we do see a lot of that. And again, there's lots of information about this on our site, Ryan. We get asked all the time, what's the best type of investor? That is an educated one. We want people to understand what they're getting into with us. We want you to call us. We've got a great investor relations team here. And so we love when people call, email, chat with questions when they're reading our site. And we are an open book. So we'll share everything with you that we can.
1: Yeah, I have definitely bothered Michael quite a few times with lots and lots of questions. So I feel like he's like, oh, gosh, Brian's calling again. Or he's emailing me again. And that's one of the things I was attracted to you guys just from a personal front is that you are very transparent because everything that I do is extremely transparent. I mean, I tell people, look, I have invested with you. If it turns out to be a bad deal or a good deal, like I will let people know it's very transparent and how things work and how the world should work, even though it doesn't. But I've been very impressed with everything. And that's why I'm really excited to have you on and go further into something that I am still very much a novice in learning. And you obviously have lots and lots of expertise in to talk about so if someone is going to start in farmland investing we know that and we'll get into I'd like to really deep dive into what acre trader is doing but if acre trader didn't exist how would normally this have process worked if i said i woke up and i was like i want to buy farmland today for whatever reason what would have been my
2: options there were two primary routes that the people take Number one route is to call a broker who you've probably never met, head out to a county you've probably never been to, and plop down a million dollars, and congratulations, you're in the business of managing a farm. That's obviously not what most people are going to do. The other alternative was funds. and still is. There are some great investment funds out there for farming. The issue there, and there's positives and negatives, without a doubt, of course. Uh, but if you think about private equity funds, which is the majority of the funding in, in the farmland world, there's about $30 billion of private equity money in farmland. That's up 10x in the last decade. So you can see the smart money is is really coming out from the asset quickly. And there are some great funds. Again, we're friends with a lot of them. The downside for the investor with those funds is, again, the minimums are usually a million dollars plus. So it's still a big absolute limit. And the level of transparency that you're receiving within that portfolio may not be that great. Whereas with us, we put it all out there. You can not only select the individual farms which you're investing in, We give you biannual updates on those farms. You get cash distributions coming off of that. And you can pick and see exactly what you're doing
1: So one question I get, because I've also invested in some real estate syndications and had some amazing people that have been on the show talking about that. This isn't the same, but it's similar enough that I think asking you this question is pretty applicable, is that if I invest into this farmland or to syndication, like the legality side of this, like how do I know that if I invested into something, that you actually bought it? How do I know that what actually happened went through? What's the, maybe go into the PPM concept and how someone would go through and be able to purchase farmland at a fractional share?
2: Absolutely. So the perhaps risk of oversimplification or grossly oversimplifying this, you as an investor, come onto our platform. You invest in an LLC, a, a particular LLC that owns one farm is the idea, right? So tomorrow we're publishing Acre Trader 142 and that's buying a farm in Illinois. So you're investing in that LLC that is governed by a standardized operating agreement and subscription. So basically, there's one document that wraps around this thing uh, that we use for most farms on our platform. You are able to see that, of course, all the rules of it. All this is on our platform available electronically. When you invest in that farm, let's say you own 2% of that farm. You own 2% of that LLC. The LLC then owns the farm. It owns the titles. So this one tomorrow is a great example once everything closes on this transaction, you can go to the Secretary of State's website and see the actual LLC that you own a part of. You can go to the county courthouse or to the state and see that the title is held by this LLC. It's very, very straightforward and transparent. We're usually not even using debt or, or leverage on these, so it's incredibly simple, and it's all there for you to see. And certainly, We share that with anybody who wants to see it anyway.
1: Yeah, you guys, your process is super simple. So I've had Kathy Carroll on from RICA, and Vina Jedion from Vibe Funds talking about real estate syndication. And I was like, guys, you gotta look at what they're doing here because the simple process and the vetting and the, everything wraps together in DocuSam is like super fantastic and easy. But again, what I have done personally does not mean that it is right for everyone, but I would encourage you guys all to check out Acre Trader and see what they're up to. So talk me a little bit now, I'd say let's focus a little more on Acre Trader because it is so unique. Talk me a little bit of how you guys vet a deal, right? Because you've got a ton of farmland that is potentially available to you. Some hitting the market, like the deal you have coming, hit the market because someone wants to close really quickly. But how do you guys vet deals? How do you source deals? Like, how does that actually work from an outsider trying to understand how the farmland industry works?
2: So, we've got about five people focused on this idea of finding deals and vetting deals. And you have to think about it as a funnel, right? Where at the top of the funnel is everything we see. That can be 50 farms inside of a week. It can be 200 farms inside. Of a week. It's a big number. You, know, you got you to think that it's a, this is a multi-trillion-dollar asset class. We're thinking about there's a lot of the stuff out there. Buying it right is the hard part. So we see tons and tons of deals, but we have a very formalized three-stage diligence process to each one of those parcels go through, and that has external software, internal, internally built software, and databases that feed into that, and then people, financial analysts. Uh, we've got a certified. Rural appraiser on staff, maybe certified farm manager on staff. And so, this is not, we got cool software and really cool data. Make sure to tell our engineers what you said about the investment process. They'll love that. But beyond that, we have real people and real farmers. Like, we're rednecks, man, right? We're out of the dirt. And, and you know, people on our team, like, understand how to drive a backhoe and a tractor and think, you know, all these really fun things that we do on the weekend sometimes. But it's really important for us that we are farmers first and foremost. We're technologists and we're Finance geeks—it's in our blood for a lot of us here. It's in our backgrounds, and a lot of us actively still do it today. We've got a personal staff who's also managed a few hundred million dollars for the farmland in a previous life, and managing that hands-on, managing that. So that's a lot of farmland. It is. It is. Yeah, it's the size of it's pretty staggering. But, but, but suffice to say, that team, which I have incredible trust in, uh, is my friends and coworkers, but also just as great underwriters and great sourcers, they're the ones whittling that funnel down to find that one farm that has the core attributes we look for, which are soil, water, and financial profile. That is, again, another gross oversimplification of a really complex process and 90-something checkpoints and all the variables that feed into it. But you really want to boil it down. Basically, you need water, sustainable long-term water supplies. You need quality soil that can preferably grow multiple crop types. And you need to be acquiring it at an attractive valuation.
1: So someone that wants to sell farmland, is it family businesses that they no longer want to be in the business? What is the typical profile of someone that is entering the top of the funnel and then that kind of makes it down the funnel? Because you've had various different deals that I've noticed on the platform that I did. Like I was in part of the almond farm because I thought it was just so unique and different. Then I've also done some in Illinois that I just like the underwriting the metric and just fits. But those were two very different things. And I was thinking to myself as I was going through and analyzing and reading, and everyone listening, there's some fantastic info that they have on their website that shows like the makeup of soil. And I've learned way more than I ever thought I would by just reading through the blog. So it's been really helpful. But I guess what I was getting at was, what's the typical farm that is being brought to you guys in the funnel? Is it family business? Is it corporation selling? Like, How does that How do they find you or how do you find them like other than like auctions?
2: So first is reasons why people sell. And just if you're selling a home, there could be a long list of reasons. You're moving, you're retiring. We see a lot of farmers that will do exchanges where they want to buy a farm closer to their house. And so that farm came up for sale and they're going to sell one that's 10 miles down the road to us so they can move closer to home. There's all kinds of various reasons why people sell and why they buy. And again, there's, of this multi-trillion dollar asset class, there's 50 to $100 billion dollars of it exchanging hands every year. So it's not as if we are the only buyer or, or seller in the market. It's already a very active market. What our job is to do is to come through that and, and find properties, both on market and off market, that, that are interested in transacting with us. What we can bring to that relationship are some very unique variables. We can do sale leasebacks. Most farms are sold to a farmer, but guess what? Kicks the current farmer off. We can help the farmer stay on their farm with a sale leaseback. Free of capital, We can have creative terms. We can allow them to invest in the farm alongside us. I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago, we had one in Indiana where the farmer came to us and said, hey, I know of this piece of land. I'm farming it currently. I would like to invest in it. I can't buy the whole thing. Would you guys like to come alongside me? If you will, I can get it at a great price. Uh, and so, and or the, the farmer is coming, coming to the platform tomorrow, same idea. Hey, I need to do a really quick close. I'm willing to give you a discount if you can close it quickly. Mm-hmm. that's really our approach is we provide flexibility to the seller so that we can achieve those three important things that we discussed a moment ago, soil, water, and financial. profile.
1: Yeah. And because you don't have crazy amounts of deal flow, right? there's not 10, 15 things hitting your website all the time. I actually noticed that it was a very valuable commodity, even when it came on the platform, that things get funded pretty quickly. So there was some due diligence that you'd have to do ahead of time and you guys offer some stuff on your site that people can read through. And I think, again, the literature that you guys have is really important, but I can speak to it as one of your current investors, but I'd like to hear it from you maybe. Once I say, hey, look, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to do this, like maybe walk someone through the process. And then after the property closes, what is the communication with the investors and how does that work on a more long-term approach?
2: Absolutely, so process and post-close And you also mentioned how we don't often have farms up on the website. I want to tag on that as well because you're right. We way more often than not do not have any current control on the website. Part of that's a function of every time we put a farm up, people invest pretty quickly. And part of that is a function of our stringent underwriting. If we were a revenue-optimized company, we would always have a farm up because that would mean more business to us. The reality is, is our underwriting standards are so high that most the extreme, extreme majority of the things we see do not make it out of the platform. And we would rather forego a week of having something live than put something up that we're not excited about. And so that's the reason as to why you see that scarcity on our website. Just to give you some context there, the farms go up and you're, they are invested in pretty quickly. So to talk about that, the process and then the follow-up, the process is fairly simple. You go to acretrader.com, you sign up, you create an account, you tell us a few things about yourself. And then there are two regulatory hurdles to get through. Nobody loves, but we are absolute sticklers to make sure that this occurs for every person. Number one is called know your customer. These are banking rules to make sure that you are not a fraudster or that you are not in a government database as literally a terrorist. Um, And so the first is tell us information about you, where do you live, this kind of stuff. The systems can ping that government database to confirm identity. The second is then accreditation. And this is a painful point for everybody, but it's one we have to adhere to for regulatory purposes. When you are investing, you need to be able to show that you are an accredited investor. So what does that mean? That is individually two hundred thousand of income, joint three hundred thousand or a million dollar net worth, or you have one of these licenses like you're a stockbroker type of person to become accredited. Not everybody is accredited, we recognize that. We certainly want to open the platform to non accredited investors in the future. So if you are not accredited today, please feel free to sign up. It's free to sign up. We will keep you updated for when we do open it up to everyone else. but In the meantime, for accredited investors who want to invest today, it is making sure that you have that documentation ready to get approved and to make the actual investment.
1: I found out the interesting little tidbit because in the past deals that I've had, it was very easy to have the accreditation, but the process that you went through and what it asked you to fill out this form, I'm like, well, I'm an SEC registered advisor. I'm an accredited investor. I don't need to go to another plan. I'll just sign my own. And it got kicked back. I was like, no, no, you can't sign your own. It's like, oh. Yes, yeah, so it's like a physician who really can't write your own prescriptions. All right.
2: Another we catch pers- a lot of heat for it, man, is the reality. We are unapologetically adherent to the rule of law. And that's it. And does that frustrate people sometimes? Yes. Frustrate us all the time? Absolutely. But the reality is if if we let people through don't fill the criteria correct, then we could be putting not only ourselves but the investors at risk. And we're just not gonna do that. And in fact if you see other platforms that are letting you sneak through and, and do things you shouldn't do, that should raise big alarm bells to you as an investor.
1: You don't want to mess with the SEC rules or investor funds at all. So as an investor, I appreciate that. The last question I had on that piece was the follow-up. So property closes, say someone wanted to go verify, they can go verify those little things. But then aside from the awesome dirt trophy, which again, I'll make sure if it's not on my Instagram, I will post that on the Instagram at financial residency, our little trio of dirt trophies. But what else can someone expect from you guys and how's the communication and how do they keep up to date with what's going on in now the cool farm that they own?
2: So, we send out biannual updates. So, you'll get a document with some pictures and telling you about what's going on on the farm and the harvest and the farmer and any other variables that may have occurred. Then, things like, hey, we found some extra income because we rented out a duck hunting line on this farm in Mississippi, those types of fun updates as well. And then, so beyond the updates, you also get distributions. So, we will actually be making distributions here in a few weeks for the 2020 year. So there's a really easy process where you can link your bank account to a wallet on our website. We will drop the funds in there into that wallet. So you can just drag them out to your bank account. If you don't have a linked wallet, that's okay as well. Now you check the answer.
1: It was really easy. There's no excuse. The link of the wallet was... So you mentioned one thing here is additional ways of revenue. And I thought I was going to finish out the show here, but I, I want to actually touch on this for a second because I'm probably going to learn something as well. And I'm not ashamed to admit that there's other sources of revenue that you can have with the farm. What are some of those revenue sources that you guys aren't writing this into your pro formas and factoring this in? It's just like icing on the cake, but what would that be? And how much could that maybe alter or improve the profitability of certain
2: farms? We love those options, right? The options. And there are a number of them, but the most common additional revenue sources you'll come across are hunting rights. So allowing somebody to come on it, usually during the winter when nobody's out there anyway, to come shoot at wildlife and and or use it recreationally. That is certainly one source of additional income, and that can be very meaningful, especially in in the Delta states here where we have waterfowl hunting. So in Arkansas and Mississippi and Louisiana, people will pay a real pretty thing wanting to go out and duck hunt. We have a few farms this year where we're able to secure hunting leases that were in excess of expectations, and so we're excited to communicate that with people that are investors in those farms. Another common outcome is alternative energy, so putting solar panels or windmills on farms. We're obviously huge fans of that. It is not as common as we'd like because you need the farm to be close to transmission lines. That's certainly something that we seek in underwriting is, hey, if we can get a farm that's close to transmission line, then we can go check out this other deal as well. Those tend to be the most common additional sources, and then there's also the way you construct the lease so a flex lease is an example where the farmer pays you the rent but if the farmer has a good year for one reason or the other bean prices went up or they had a big yield, the weather was great and then you can actually earn some additional income on top
1: that's really helpful to understand and i you know i saw that in one of your guys's white papers or something about the windmill concept but i was like how does that work and i don't think anything that i have invested in would would be a, a candidate for that but it, it's always interesting, and then the hunting is just again being from Southern California. I'm like hunting. What do you mean, <laughs> hunting? The people pay to hunt. That's crazy. Like i just I'm such a city guy. It's pathetic, but it's really fascinating. You guys just have so much good information that I want everyone that if you're interested in just even learning about what's going on and what we're talking about, that like car could have gone five miles deep to actually use a dirt analogy, but he could have gone a lot deeper on the intricacy But I think this is a really good warm up to what it is, how it's important, how it can help you diversify. So thank you so much for coming on and helping us understand a little bit more about farmland. And if anyone is interested in learning more, I will link to stuff like on financial residency. We actually have like an awesome blog post that's coming out all about investing in farmland that will be on financial residency, but you guys can check it out at AcreTrader.com. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time today.
2: Thank you so much, Ryan. And as we discussed as well to, to those of you listening feel free to call us, email us, chat with us on the website. We are open book and well, that's told we met Ryan. We really enjoy those conversations. So thanks again for your time today.
1: Yeah, that's exactly how we met. I reached out and I said, Hey, I'm interested. I want to hear more. And poor Michael was the guy that answered the phone. <laughs>
2: <And> <laughs> He's got a couple other colleagues sitting next to him as well. And this is what we do, man. We talk about farms and soil all day, every day. So we love the conversation.
1: I love it as an elementary gardener that my dog destroys everything I plant, but I do love what I have. And put pictures out with my kids like learning like little chores and farm. I mean, obviously it's nothing crazy, but we enjoy it as a family and I love it as an asset class as really the diversification play. And what really truly intrigued me was diversification within farmland itself. And that's why I've chosen kind of three separate unique pieces and I will likely continue to add one or two a year into that. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you and uh, everything you guys are doing. It was a pleasure.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate you. Talk to
0: you soon. Well, it's always a pleasure talking with Carter. I love their service. I love what they're doing. I love their mission. And more importantly, I love their investments. They do such a great job with their underwriting and the process honestly is pretty seamless. So I've been pretty impressed with their entire operation. Now let's transition over to our curbside consult. So we've got a killer question from someone in our community, and I'm very excited to highlight that. But I thought, you know what, let's bring on a CPA to answer this tax question, because honestly, it's just going to be a much better answer than what I can give you. And so I've brought on the co-founder of Physician Tax Advisors, John McCarthy, on to answer this question from someone in our community. If you're looking for tax help, right, the New year is here and taxes are coming due. Highly recommend you reach out to John and his entire team by going to physiciantaxadvisors.com. All right, let's hear from our community member.
3: Hi, Ryan. This is Tony from New York City. My girlfriend and I love the podcast, so thank you for the help with this question. I'm a first year attending and I'm fortunate to be getting a production bonus and have a tax question regarding this. I'm a W-2 employee and the bonus will be a separate line item. My employer is going to tax it at my normal 37% federal withholding rate. My reading is suggesting that this bonus should be taxed at 22% up to $1 million. If this is true, this would be a significant savings. Nobody seems to be talking about this for physician bonuses, so I would like to know if this is true. Is there a lot more to consider and things that would potentially make this not apply to this type of bonus? Thanks a lot for the help.
4: This is a great question and uh, often misunderstood area of the tax law. Bonuses are considered supplemental compensation by the IRS, and the withholding on supplemental compensation is detailed out in IRS publication 15. The employer, in this case, has a couple different options for how to withhold on bonuses. So, the simplified method for people with compensation under $1 million is to withhold at a 22% flat rate. The employer can also decide to treat the bonus compensation as a single payment with the most recent wage withholding. So you can not end up with employers that they could choose to withhold at a higher rate, depending on what the regular compensation is. But what we find in practice is that most employers will choose to withhold at the flat 22% rate. Having said that, if you are expected to have compensation over $1 million for the year, then the employer is required to withhold at the highest federal tax rate of 37%. Now, what we see in practice is that some payroll departments uh, don't follow these rules to the T, so we do end up with some interesting situations, um, like this question has mentioned here. You know, in this case, we're seeing a payroll department withholding at a 37 percent rate. You know, when we would uh, not expect them to. You know, since compensation isn't over a million dollars. You know, in that case, I would go to the payroll department and reference IRS Publication 15 and see what they have to say as to why they're withholding at the top rate. Now, the good news is, even if the employer is unwilling or the bonus has already been paid and withheld at that rate, this isn't really the end of the story. So, the good news is when you get to your tax return, even if the bonus compensation is over withheld, there's a mechanism to true this up at the return. So, even though you've had more tax taken out at the time, you know, when you get to your return, you will claim all of that withholding on the return and then Your compensation will be taxed at the appropriate tax rates based on all of the rest of your income for the year. So, you know, what we find is that, you know, it's a common issue for employees. You know, if they've been withheld at 22 percent, in a lot of cases, that's too low. So we end up with a tax liability due on the return. If it's been withheld at 37 percent, a lot of times we'll find that's a little too much. We end up with a refund on the return. And the answer for a vast majority of our clients is that it's somewhere in between. So it is something to pay attention to, you know, do a estimated tax computation at the time you receive your bonus and see you know, where things stand for you personally. But the good news is we'll get to the right answer. The bad news is that we have to wait until the return and filed in the spring in order to you know, true it up to that level. So great question and uh, thanks for submitting.
0: Like I told you, John would give you a much better answer than I would. John, thanks so much for doing that for us. And if you would like your question answered on air, I would be honored to have it on air. Likely it will be me answering it. But if it's a tax question, there's no one better to handle it than John McCarthy at Physician Tax Advisors. transitioning over to our financial malpractice, which is becoming one of my favorite segments of the entire show. And I'm so excited to keep doing these because I know we're all going to learn something and hopefully not make these mistakes. I have brought on Michael Relvis from MR Insurance, and he is fantastic. So excited to have him on. Michael, welcome back on the show.
3: Brian, thanks for having me again. I'm enjoying this.
0: This is going to be fun. So We had a really good story before from you. What do we have for this month's show on insurance and a horror story that you have either experienced or heard of?
3: So this is one that has a little bit of background to it. I'll kind of build it up a little bit here. When you're applying for disability insurance, private disability insurance specifically, there's an underwriting process. You have to complete an application, go through a medical history questionnaire. There's a gamut of things that you have to do. And those questions are asked for a reason. They're going into the decision-making process from the insurance company, right? So what they offer you is dependent on that information. And the validity of the policy that you're buying is also based on that information. It's based on the information you provide being accurate. And this is twofold. It's an example of what you really need to make sure that you're doing in order to avoid this type of nightmare. So we've had a claim situation or heard of a claim situation where... Someone was applying just out of residency for a private disability insurance policy. She had joined on with an organization that did offer group disability insurance, and she just wasn't aware of it. As agents ask that question, do you have group disability insurance? And a lot of times people will say, no, I don't, or, oh, I think I do, but it's just a small amount. It's not a great policy. It's not important. Well, actually, it's really important. So important that it determines or partially determines how much coverage the insurance company is going to offer you. So if you are provided group disability insurance and don't disclose it on the application, that is hugely problematic. If it is within the first two years of the policy being enforced, which is part of the contestability clause, it's this period of time where an insurance company can contest a claim. They can come back and basically say, hey, we don't have to pay this because you materially misrepresented something on the application or you omitted something, or you misstated something. And this is one of those things. So here's a claim situation where someone had bought the policy, ended up going on claim within that first two year time frame, did not disclose that she was provided group disability insurance. And sure enough, after the claim was evaluated, the insurance company came back and said, we don't have to pay you the benefit. You told us you didn't have group disability insurance. Turns out you have a heck of a lot of it. And we oversold what we would have sold had we been given that information. So it was your responsibility to give us that information. The application asked it, you materially misrepresented something. And in the end, this person ended up receiving some benefit. She did not receive what she expected to receive and the full benefit that the policy was for. She did end up getting something, but it's a really good lesson because honestly, the insurance company could have completely rescinded that policy and not paid anything. And it's something so simple, And we get it a lot. People will say, oh, I don't think I have anything, or I think I have this very little benefit. And a lot of times we'll fire back and say, no, that chances are that's not right. That seems unusually small for a physician specific group disability policy. You work for a massive hospital organization, right? Or, or healthcare organization. It is very unlikely that they don't offer you something. And in order to avoid a claims nightmare, There are a lot of reasons they can happen, but this is just one specific one that's easy. It's really not that difficult to call HR, get verification, don't even just trust that person's word. Ask for a copy of the policy plan document and either show it to the agent that you're working with. If you have a financial planner, show it to the financial planner, look at it yourself, take the time to verify that it's accurate. And secondly, that it's the plan that's specific for physicians. Physicians and executives are often offered a different plan than other staff members. When you call HR, they don't necessarily know right away whether you are a physician or not. And they may very well send you the package for ordinary staff that is not specific to you. The nightmare is this could really create havoc at claim time if you don't disclose information properly on the application. The easy lesson and easy way to avoid it is to do your due diligence upfront. And when your agent presses you for more information, he's doing it for a reason. If anything, you should be thankful about the fact that he's doing it because it is for good reason. Somebody who just says, oh, you don't have anything? No problem, we'll put nothing then. That's not a good thing. So could be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah,
0: I've worked with enough physicians that when I'm saying, hey, do you have any group coverage? As we're doing our intake and just starting to onboard someone, and the response is, ah, oh, it's just crap anyway. Like, well, <laughs> they'll have it, even if it truly is crap, because there are some group policies that are crap. It is still a policy that is still in effect, and that needs to be disclosed, otherwise you materially it. So even if the policy is bad, you still have to do it. But that is great scenario. So, Michael, thank you so much for being on. Anyone wants to contact Michael, you can do that by going to financialresidency.com slash MRinsurance. Appreciate you coming back
3: on. Thanks, Ryan.
0: Well, it was really fun having so many different voices on the show with a bunch of different segments. We're going to continue to do this. I'm trying to make the podcast even more fun and enjoyable for all of you. Thank you so much for being here. Please share this podcast with other physicians and their families. We're trying to help every physician that we can understand personal finances to learn from whether it's their mistakes or other mistakes so that we don't make them again to arm yourself with the financial knowledge. So you don't get taken advantage of And we see so frequently when we start working with physicians at our fee only financial planning practice, physician wealth services. And like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, if you are trying to put together a plan, if it is your new year's resolution, even though I'm not a fan of those, but if it is yours to get a financial plan in order to actually stick to that plan, have someone help hold you accountable and make better financial choices, we would be honored to toss our hat into the ring and to have the opportunity to work with you. You can check us out by going to physicianwealthservices.com. If you book a free introductory call, you will actually be talking with me. So whether that's good or bad, I'm not sure depending on how much you like, or maybe don't like me, but You will have a call with me. We'll talk about what it is that you're looking for, how we help, if we're a good fit for you and if you're a good fit for us. And there's no sales pitch. I don't even follow up after the calls. So it is truly a free, just get to know you meeting just to see if we would be a good fit. I'd be honored if you'd reach out to us. If you need a financial advisor, you can do so by going to physicianwealthservices.com. Now let's hear from my buddy, my little boy, Wyatt, in the oh so important disclaimer. All right, everyone, have a great week, and I will see you on Friday. Cheers.
3: This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment
4: advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye.
0: This podcast is for informational purposes only. The information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Financial residency is not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or MR insurance consultants, and opinions stated are their own. Michael Relvis is a registered representative and financial advisor and of other security products and advisory services through Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC OSJ 9200 Corporate Boulevard Suite 390 Rockfield MD 20850. His phone is 240 9700 PAS is wholly owned subsidiary of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. MR Insurance Consultants is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. AR Insurance License number 8913976. 2021-114082 expires one